Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 77. This week, Anthony collects all the green rocks and Chris honors the large rock in the sky. This week's feature, if you like Power Grid, try out these games. You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. Welcome to the episode, everyone. We're so glad to have you back here again this week. Unfortunately, Daniel and Drew were not able to join us here Daniel is still celebrating some outstanding times down south, and Drew is once again locked up in the Northern Rondell. It's like Northern Lights, but it's round and it's cold and you just go around, but Drew's happy. So Anthony and I are here to bring you a great episode. This week we're going to be talking about if you like Power Grid, try out these games because they're awesome. So this coming week we'll be heading out, and by the time you're listening to this episode, we're already there at DexCon 18. So if you're listening to this episode on a Sunday, you still have time. Come down to Morristown, New Jersey and enjoy a great convention. Find me. I will be there. Sit down at the table. Let's play some games and, you know, all the really cool stuff that goes on at a great convention. And Anthony will be there, too. So you'll get to play with Anthony. And Anthony. Yeah. <laughs> And he won't be solo gaming if you come and you play with him, and then he won't know what to do. Unless I get left out of a table, and then I'll just play by myself. Aww. (laughs) It's not that sad. It's fun. (laughs) It sounds like we should have that Incredible Hulk song, you know, as he walks away (laughs) as Bruce Banner at the end. But I know we can't afford it, right? Oh, that's great. Now I'm picturing that in my head. <laughs> as I'm boxing up Lord of the Rings. Just like. With your with your jacket over your shoulder as you're walking down the road <laughs> with your thumb out. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, nonetheless, Anthony will be gaming one way or the other, and he will be at Dexcon 18. An appearance by Anthony for Board Gamers Anonymous. So if you're there, you'll actually get a chance to play with him. But that being said, let's get on to the episode. Shouted from the tabletops. <laughs> Sir, you're going to need to get down from there. So for this week's news, we wanted to bring you a culmination of finally, finally, a great and respectable board game awards. Now, we're not just saying this because we're part of Dice Tower Network, but... Maybe it's because we voted in it. We kind of feel, you know, we had a part of it, but nonetheless. <laughs> little bias. So just so you know, we're yeah. among the voting, voting pool. But that being said, all our choices did not win. And we're kind of okay with it. A little bitter, nonetheless. But, you know, we're, we're kind of okay with it. Right, Anthony? Some of my choices. Like two of my choices. <laughs> three. Three of my choices won. Okay. Well, I had a couple of choices win that, too. And we'll, we'll talk about that. But... You know, if you've been following our episodes, you know about the insanity that is the Origins Gaming Awards, and you know how that goes, and you know about the Spiel des Jahres Awards, and how that generally goes. So, Dice Tower Network, I believe it's 93 different reviewers, podcasters, bloggers, publishers of games 
They all pile into a Facebook group. They all yell and scream at each other and throw random meatballs and cubes at each other. And they come up with the nominees. And they come up with the votes for the winners. And now we actually have the winners that were announced recently at the Dice Tower convention this past week. Yeah, it's awesome. We actually guessed at this a few weeks ago. I forgot we did that, but I was listening to it the other day. And we didn't do so bad. We, no. we were pretty close on most of them. So it's in line with what you'd expect, unlike a certain other gaming award that was just recently finalized at another convention that made zero sense. These ones make it at least a little bit of sense. All right. So the first category was best reprint. Anthony, did you have a favorite in that uh, contest? I did, yeah. I picked uh, the new San Juan edition, if only because I couldn't find it before, and then now I can, so <laughs> it's my favorite reprint. That Ticket to Ride one looked pretty cool, too. That was my vote, too. San Juan, the second edition. You couldn't find that anywhere. People were scouring the earth looking for this copy, and actually, the new version has some new rules, some new tiles, new cards, so it's actually better. But the best print went to... Ticket to Ride, the uh, anniversary edition. All right. It's nice. I mean, it's super nice. It's yeah, big. It's, it's expensive, and I already own the big, the other game, so I, I didn't buy it. But I would love to have found a copy on the sidewalk. <laughs> well, that's usually where you do find your board games, right? That's what, half my collection, man. It just shows up on the sidewalk. All right. So the next category was best party game. Did you have a choice there? Uh, I did not, actually. I had not played any of these. Oh, no. So I skipped this one completely. Well, I put in for Strike a Pose. Because it really embodied the party game type of element to it. But the winner was... Spyfall. Shock and awe. <laughs> I got a chance to play Spyfall. I can understand why people like it so much. It felt a little samey for me with a lot of other games. But, alright. It's it's a thing. And the next category was Best Artwork. How about there, Anthony? Anything for you on that? I really liked Battle of the Five Armies and Imperial Settlers. But Abyss was just like mind-blowingly awesome. So... I, I just went with that, even though I haven't played the game, because I feel like I could judge it by its cover. <laughs> <laughs> Multiple covers! Yeah. <laughs> and the winner was? Abyss. Because Abyss! Those covers, man. Yeah, I've been talking about this for many, 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 many of an episode. Javier Colette is my favorite board game artist right now. I just love everything that's coming out there. And the five different covers, so dramatic. The artwork in the game is amazing. It really is a, a work of art. And I would bring that game to anybody who thought that board games weren't art. And I would just be like, you got to take a look at this. You just got to take a look at the components. You got to play this game. It's not a heavy game, but the artwork is outstanding. All right. So our next category was best components. And Anthony's got some uh, <laughs> some choices here, huh? Yeah. Components, man. That's the way to go. I know. Oh. I went with Star Wars Imperial Assault for mine because it's got a little Darth Vader and a little Luke Skywalker and an <laughs> awesome giant ATST, and then you can buy another awesome giant ATST. So I have two of them now. Um, you can just play with those separately. You don't even need to play the game. So that's fine. Yeah, I, I went with Cult Express because I just thought that 3D train was so original, and you actually play the game in the train. So I really like that. But the winner was, Anthony? My game. <laughs> Star Wars. It's Star Wars. Of course it won. Of course. Did you find the lack of faith on my part disturbing? I did, but I know deep down you're cool with it. I love Star Wars. It was 
it was a hard one. I was just going with original type of stuff. Also, another favorite of Anthony's best two player game. Who'd you go this, with there? This was super hard. It was. This, <laughs> I actually voted for four. Okay. Um, and it was a toss up between all of them. In the end, I actually picked Dice Masters. Wow. Um, just because I haven't played Star Realms all that much, and Battle of the Five Armies is it's unique and new, but it's you know based off another two player game, which is so epic and big. Um, and the Imperial Assault, the Star Wars Imperial Assault two player version, it's good. It's it's a good game, but it's like if it was its own game separate from the core game, it wouldn't be like that mind blowing. It's still Star Wars and it's awesome, but um, I went with Dice Masters. It's a great game, notwithstanding all of the other logistical and administrative issues. I wish I got to play it more, and I don't. I wish I could afford to be have a good uh, set of dice, but I don't. But I like the game. <laughs> yeah, I should explain here. For this contest, you were allowed to vote for multiple entries, and then the points were kind of split up. So for me, I, I voted for the Battle of the Five Armies as my top choice, and my second choice was Star Realms. But once again, for me, this was tough too. The Battle of the Five Armies just wins out because it just has more to the game. And when you're playing a two-player game, I, I personally feel like it should be a grand endeavor. So, And the winner was Star Realms. Star Realms, which is awesome because I love Star Realms. And it's amazing. And it's like 15 bucks. Yeah, and it's got all these extra things now. And now they're retheming it in all these different ways. I think there's at least two rethemes out there right now, possibly more. Yeah, there's an epic theme, which is fantasy, and there's a Cthulhu theme. Because everything needs to be Cthulhu for some reason. Of course. <laughs> ah, hey, it's a kid's birthday cake. Let's make it Cthulhu. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I guess. <laughs> Happy birthday, Cthulhu. <laughs> All right, the next category was best cooperative game. Where'd you go with there, Anthony? I went with the easy one. I went with Dead of Winter. I'm not a big co-op guy. I always like them when I play them, but it's just not the games I think of and they're not the games I purchase. Sure. But Dead of Winter of all those games was the one I enjoyed the most and by, you know, far and away stood out for me this year is, you know, unique and interesting, even though it's not a pure co-op. Same for me. I went with Dead of Winter, truly innovative. You could argue it's, it's not necessarily a co-op because there is a trader mechanic in the game, but I mean, it deserves this category hands down. And Anthony, the winner? Uh, Dead of Winter. Yeah. Surprise! <laughs> Everybody agrees with that. <laughs> it won our brackets for 2015. So way to go, guys. So, yeah. Excellent. And the next category was best strategy game. Which way did you go there, Anthony? Like I have to ask because I know. I know. You do know. And it's Imperial <laughs> Settlers for me. Sure. And it was Imperial Settlers for me. I also voted for Kanban and Panamax. I voted for multiples in different categories. But Imperial Settlers really felt like a game that had done strategy right. Lighter, but had done strategy right. But the winner was? It was Five Tribes. Which, I gotta say, in Five Tribes, people take the AP to be strategy. And I don't agree with that. You really have just to wait to your turn and then take your move. There really isn't much strategy. It's more tactics. I mean, you are building towards certain things, but it's more of a tactical game. And it's not really that much of a tactical game because there's just best decisions to be made. But nonetheless, people love it. Congratulations, Five Tribes. Days of Wonder. Next category, which I honestly think was the hardest category, best expansion. Because you had some great expansions this year. 
Which way did you go, Anthony? Yeah, this was super tough. I think for me, and there was like four games on this list that I love, and the expansions for them just made them better. But for me, the game that kind of epitomized how to do an expansion and the best like all-around expansion was Tuscany because it perfected Viticulture and also added a solo element, which I have to give it credit for because there's no solo award in this list. That's true. It's weird. Asshole. Vassal! <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I went with Tuscany. Yeah, this was another multiple kind of nominee. I went with Cyclades Titans just because, in part because Daniel had such a explosive reaction to the game. <laughs> and there's so much to love about Cyclades. And the fact that Titans really puts the game back together again in a way in which you can really enjoy it at a faster pace. It brings the game back to the table in a really dynamic way. And I think that if an expansion can do that, it's done its job really well. And the winner was? It was Tuscany. Tuscany. Great job. Uh, Jamie Stegmeyer, outstanding game. We talked about this previously. He just has a way of refining his design so well and so quickly and Tuscany just does an outstanding job. If you haven't played Tuscany and you've played Viticulture, trust me, play Tuscany. It's And that's not to say that Viticulture is not a good game, but Tuscany, man, great game. The next category was Best New Designer. You know, to be honest, I had not played most of the games on this list. Uh, I think the only one I had was Splendor. So I went with Splendor. Okay. Um, which is, to be fair, I mean, that's... that's as a first game, you know, and everybody has their issues with the game. It's just, it's not as, as in-depth and robust as a lot of people, you know, make it out to be. But sure. it's impressive design for what it is, especially as a first game. Hmm. For me, I went with three different choices. Paperback, Alchemist, and Zai Legends of Adrift System. All great games. But the winner was? Alchemists by yes. Mattis Kotri. Yeah, this game, if you've had a chance to sit down and play it, it is complex. It is engaging and it is such a thing man i gotta tell you if for no other reason but that he climbed the highest mountain especially with the app connecting to this game i think he deserves the awards hands down great game good design man i I can't imagine pulling that out as you know your first game all right the next category that we have here is best family game anthony you got a family what game would you want to play with them there well, my family likes to play Busy Town and occasionally Checkers. Ah, tell us Checkers, Anthony. Yeah, if you're friends with me on Facebook, you saw my son. Well, I, I let him win, but you know, you know how it is. Uh, did you let him in, or did he crush you? He, it's gonna come. It's 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 happening. Uh. Um, he's a smart kid. For me, out of the, the the nominees that we actually were allowed to choose from. I went with Diamonds. Okay. Um, I've played this with multiple family members now and had a lot of fun, and it's quick and easy to teach, and everybody likes playing with the little gems, which then kind of draws them in a little bit. I'm like, I've got lots of other great components if you want to keep <laughs> playing with little bits and pieces. Yeah, I had multiple nominees here. King of New York was my top, and then I had Diamonds. But the winner was? It was Splendor. Surprise! Not. <laughs> Not a surprise. <laughs> Not a surprise at all, Splendor, which is fine because people love it and they play it everywhere. And... All right, Splendor. Best game from a small publisher. Yeah, so for me, I picked uh, Star Realms, and mm-hmm. it's not a game I've gotten to play a ton, but just what they've done is super impressive, and that app is really good for a first-time app. So got to give them credit for that one. 
Yeah, I had multiple nominees, Paperback, Star Realms, I had Legends of Drift System, but the winner was? Star Realms, White Wizard Games. Great game, man. Good job. Congratulations. And the next category, Most Innovative Game. Which way did you go there, Anthony? You know what? It was an interesting list this year because there was a lot of good stuff on there. But the one that just was completely mind-blowing, crazy different, that you can't even compare to any other game, is Tragedy Looper. So that I had to go with that one. For me, I had Tragedy Looper and then Alchemist, but Tragedy Looper was my number one pick. And the winner was? Tragedy Looper. Nice. And if it wasn't, we just go back in time and fix it. So Exactly. That's, yeah. That's why it's there. <laughs> All right. Next category, and I like this category, Best Theming. Which way did you go there, Anthony? Ah, theming. So theming is tough. I, as much as I love Star Wars, I had to discount it. It's cheating, although really does capture it really well. So I really wanted to vote for it. But I went with Dead of Winter. And I think, I don't know if we talked about this in the podcast, if we were just talking at, at a table the other day about how Dead of Winter is or is not thematic. And to me, it feels super thematic because of how perfectly it captures that feeling of isolation and everybody for himself and the terror and actually being more afraid of the people you're surrounded by than the actual monsters that you're trying to run from Mm. i thought that was pretty cool yeah my vote was for the castles of bad king ludwig i just like the idea that finally for a tile placement game you actually had a bit of story you had a bit of gameplay and it really felt like you were putting something together that made sense in the larger scheme of things. Now, I think that this game will vastly be improved by its upcoming expansion, Secrets, which really makes it look a lot more like a castle. But that was my vote. But the winner was? It was Dead of Winter. So, makes sense, because as Anthony said, especially the cards that you actually have your own personal goals... And you would think so. If you watch any zombie post-apocalyptic type of movie, everyone's always kind of out for themselves, which seems kind of sad and bleak, but I guess that's the type of movie you're watching. So, yeah, that kind of makes sense. And finally, the top category of all, Game of the Year. What was your vote there, Anthony? I went with Imperial Settlers because I've played this game a good 60, 70 times at this point in the last year. Still enjoy it. I'm extremely excited for the expansion coming out this summer. And it's got so much stuff in the box, all these little bits. (laughs) So, and I'm I'm really excited for the idea of turning it into kind of a a pre-built deck game. Although they've just got that one mini expansion out. But as more stuff comes, Mm -hmm. lots more depth to be had here. Even the base game has been just awesome for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the Atlanteans are coming. All right, so my vote was a little bit on the simpler side, but I went Star Realms. I, I just thought that... While it was a simple deck-building game, I think it did it so well. And for me, and if you're a Dominion fan, put your fingers in your ears for a second, I think it does deck-building, honestly, the best it's been done up to this point. It's such a refined deck. The cards really snowball together really well. It plays great as a two-player game. And I think as you can see that it now has multiple reskinnings. I think it just goes to the strength of the game and it's just outstanding and i and i really did enjoy it so much playing it on the app and in person but the winner was dead of winter there you go dead of winter i mean this game has clearly like a zombie horde taken over everyone's 
you know, board gaming mind. It's been everywhere. I think just because it really hasn't had a larger distribution and there wasn't a lot of copies initially, that's the only reason why everyone doesn't have a copy in their hand. But it's an outstanding game and well worth game of the year. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm actually sort of seeing it in stores pretty much every time I'm at those stores. So I think now if you want it, you can actually get it. So if you've been, uh, if you gave up a few months ago, it's out there. Yeah, I remember Daniel was at, I think it was Dreamation, and there was only one copy initially available, and he paid full price for it just to grab it. So and he was very excited. He was very excited. <laughs> it was a great game, and we really enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah. So awesome. Congratulations to Plathead Games. Well done. I'm really looking forward to their future spinoffs something not zombie would be excellent and now our acquisition disorders acquisition disorders that's crazy only needs the base game nothing else but the base game the base game and the expansion see nothing else just the base game and the expansion and the promos the base game the expansion and the promos and of course the upgraded components why wouldn't you have the upgraded components so the base game the expansion the promos and the upgraded components see that's not too much but maybe i don't know maybe you might need to explain all right now on to our acquisition disorders this week anthony what do you have for us all right so speaking of time travel and most innovative game of the year for the last year, according to the uh, Dice Tower voting block. There's a new game up on Kickstarter that I just kind of stumbled across uh, this last week called Loop Inc. It's from Eagle Games, and it's by Scott Alm, who did all those tiny epic games. His games are probably on your shelf, whether you've played them or not. Some tens of thousands of people backed those, myself included, so (laughs) I've played them as well. All right, so the idea of the game is, of course, you're going back in time, And you have to try to have the most profitable trips back in time. But every time you go back in time, you have to kind of deal with all the stuff you did the last time you went back in time. Rather than try to explain all the intricacies of a time travel game, which almost never works. Try listening to anybody describe how Tragedy Looper works. Let me just say that the the artwork is very interesting. It's cool looking, but it's also kind of almost to that uh, puppet style. Everything's drawn a little funny, but it's done in a clean way. So I'm, I'm excited to see what the final artwork looks like. It's a little bit bigger of a game than Alms has done before, so it'll be interesting to see how it kind of plays out as well on that side. And it's still up on Kickstarter right now. I think when you're listening to this, if you just downloaded it launch day-ish, um, you should have two or three, four more days to take a look at it. But it's interesting, and anything that plays with time travel and does it in an interesting and intuitive way i'm i'm eager to play so that's one that i'm looking forward to for my acquisition disorder this week i want to talk about an expansion that we've all been waiting for kemet tasseti this is the new expansion for 2015 for a game that we all love especially daniel kemet so in kemet you're going to be playing tiles that gives you special abilities kind of like a little bit like a euro you're actually building like a little tableau of special abilities and the rest of it is all battle games so all of it's a clash. but this adds a new pyramid a black pyramid with special mystical powers it adds a new game phase dawn which is great because this, the game really did need some new aspects to it the path of souls which is excellent and some new cards so not too much as far as that's concerned about gameplay but it has some new miniatures and I know that previously there was a crossover expansion with Cyclade, so you can actually bring the creatures over from there to this expansion. 
But honestly, the only thing this game is missing right now is a new map. Come on, guys. Give me a new map. This game is so phenomenal. And it's just missing a map. Give me a new map. The artwork on the map is still terrible. But the gameplay is still amazing. And if you have not got a chance to play Kemet yet, get it to the table because you're going to love this game. It's everything you love about, you know, risk type of war games, battle games with some Euro elements in it. And it plays incredibly quick. It's fun. And we've enjoyed it greatly. So this expansion is going to add more to the fun. So that's everything for our acquisition disorders for this week. And now, at the table with BGA. For the first time in like a year, year and a half, finally got one of my favorite games to the table, with you and Dave, actually, and that was Spirium. And we reviewed this way, 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 way back, like episode six, maybe. (laughs) Um, So I don't feel like I'm rehashing at this point, because back in episode six, we might have had 40, 50 listeners. So for 40 or 50 of you, you're like, uh, but the rest of you, it's due to you. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So everybody else out there who did not listen to episode probably six, Spirium, it's an awesome game. Go back to listen to the episode. Yes. So or is, listen uh, to this and that. Do both. <laughs> wow. That was a much longer review. This will be much shorter, I promise. So Spirium from William Adia, and he also designed Kalis, um, which a lot of you probably also know. It's... It's really, it's a small box. It's a very compact. The components are not super amazing or anything. It's very basic. But it's this inventive little worker placement game that I've just really taken to. And I've enjoyed every playthrough I've had of it. Everybody I've played it with, some people really liked it. Some people liked it a little bit. Nobody really disliked it. It's not the kind of game that kind of blows people's minds away. It's not the most amazing or most incredible or most unique worker placement game on the planet. Sell it, Anthony. Yeah, (laughs) but selling point, it's only 35 bucks and it takes maybe 45 minutes to play and every time you play is going to be different and it's got this unique kind of quasi bidding aspect because you're always putting down, you're competing with everybody putting down your workers in the space between the cards in the tableau to in order to activate those actions or buy that card and then you have to build out your own little tableau from those cards you purchase and build an engine to generate spirium to generate victory points so even though it's not as complicated as some of the bigger more meaty euros out there it's got a lot going on and it's just heavy enough to get get you into it and not so much that you spend three hours playing it and it's not going to burn your entire day so you don't want to do any other big heavy euros we actually played this as a transition game um, and our game day, it just works really well for me. And I think it's it's kind of that perfect sweet spot in the middle. And I know it's it's got a lot of similar mechanics across a lot of other games, but the way they all come together in this package works so well. It's a lot of fun. The only major issues, the components, yes, again, they're not mind-blowing. Again, you're not paying for mind-blowing components. And then the third round of the, or the sixth round of the game, the third set of cards, is exactly the same every time. And that's a little frustrating because... The A deck and the B deck have more cards than you need, and so you always get something a little bit different, plus they're larger decks, so they're more shuffled up, whereas the C deck is the exact same nine cards, so you always know how the game's going to end, which 
of course, if you're teaching the game, gives you a massive benefit over the other players unless you just show them what the cards are in advance. It's an important distinction. I think it'd be cool if there was extra cards. We talked about this in our original review that this is a game that screams for an expansion because there's a lot of different little ways you could kind of build on it and add cool new features. But even just the way it is now, I like it a lot. Yeah, I like this game a lot too. I'm not too bothered by the components. I think that I think Dave just fell down. Just want to stop there for a second. He's listening. He fell down. Dave, get up. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay, Dave. It's okay. I don't mind the meeples. The meeples are fine. The spirium are these little green kind of crystal plastic kind of pieces. They're nice. It's just a little sad, as you said, that the final deck only has those nine cards. If they had maybe, I don't know, another five cards kind of mixing the deck up, surprising people a little bit, I think this game would be just a lot lot better i'm really sorry that this game hasn't gotten out there a lot more the theme is kind of pasted on it's a steampunk type of 19th century british world but it's fine it's the game works some of the graphic design is a little sloppy but the artwork is really nice and i like the pictures and it's it's fine it just needs a little bit more and hopefully people will pick this game up because it is a quick playing euro game so it's as anthony said a good transition game or a good end-of-the-night type of game, or even a good filler game if you really want to play a Euro filler. But nonetheless, man, throw some more cards in there. This game is a play, and if you can get it on sale, it's definitely a buy. Yeah, for me, it's definitely a buy, like, regardless. And I did get it on sale, but I would have paid full price for it. Okay. Um, the Spirium thing is funny. You could easily replace that with Cole, and I think you have the exact same game. But... It is kind of cool, though, because it adds those little green elements, and it's yeah. just a little more exotic. The artwork is pretty nice, so you do get like these different characters and these different buildings that you'll be building on. So generally, yeah, it, it all comes together into a nice little package. It is a game that I don't see really much of anywhere. I'm the only one that, out of all the times I've played it, and I've played it many times, I my copy is the only one I've really seen around. Um, Chris, you're the only other person I know who owns it. Yes. So it's kind of a hidden, yeah, I guess like a hidden gem in there. How about a hidden um, Spirium? Huh? Yeah, there you go. Huh? That's hey. the joke I was going for. <laughs> um, and uh, you don't, you don't even, go for the low-lying fruit, Anthony. you got to pick the low-lying fruit, too. <laughs> <laughs> and I think they even had it for a while uh, at Barnes & Noble. So there's got to be someone out there who got it on sale when they clearanced it out. But if you do see it, pick it up. It's awesome. The game that I was able to get to the table this week is Luna. It's a Stefan Feld game that's been out of print for quite some time, but will be coming out to print pretty soon, so everyone's really happy about this. This game is unlike his other games previously, with maybe a minor exception to Castles of Burgundy. Now, in this game, you are one of the different apprentices trying to take the title of Moon Priestess, or Luna in this case, and you are placing meeples on different islands. And in this game, you have seven different islands surrounding a large island. And on the smaller islands, when you place the meeples and then you activate them, what they're able to do is take a special effect. They're able to build a temple. Or depending on what type of characters are there, you're either going to get a positive benefit by scoring points or a negative benefit by being on an island with a disbeliever. So the game itself almost looks like kind of a classic Milton Bradley game because it has these really colorful symbols on them. And it looks kind of almost not cartoony, but cartoony in the way that Agricola looks cartoony. 
So as you're placing meeples on the island, it gives you the option to actually place on the main island. Now, the main island is what's going to score you at least the majority of points. Now, when you place on the main island, what you're going to be able to do is also knock other players out. So based upon where you place on the small island, it's going to allow you to place on a large island somewhere in particular. The game has a lot of components. It's a Feld game. There's a lot of point scoring. There's a lot of calculations depending on where the different characters move around the board. It's a fun game. I would say it's a medium weight game. It looks a lot more dramatic and a lot more kind of strategic than it really is. You're just kind of picking what the best move is at the time. But I really did enjoy this game quite a lot. Now that it's coming out to print, I will absolutely pick up this copy. It's a buy for me. And as far as I'm concerned, Feld has done it again. And now BGA's feature review. All right, for this week's feature review, we have If You Like Power Grid, Try These Games. I'm going to leave this up to Anthony to give you an explanation, or at least the basics about Power Grid, because Power Grid is a game that we all enjoy. It's on the Board Game Geek Top 100. It's a classic game. But if you haven't played it, here's Anthony for to kind of give you an overview of the game. Anthony? All right. Yes, I'm probably the best one of the group to do this, because I own all, all the, the Power, Power Grid? Grids. <laughs> <laughs> I've got the base game and, like, four or five expansions and the collector's box and the deluxe edition got that tattoo um, yeah yeah <laughs> your son's named power your daughter's named grid <laughs> <laughs> uh that's a good idea hmm. <laughs> middle names man middle names middle names you gotta name them something might as well be your favorite game oh <laughs> uh, man so power grid is this uh it's this game that everybody talks about as being very mathy but it's really not as mathy as it sounds it just involves a lot of different variables moving on the board at any given time, and the numbers are constantly changing from round to round, and that's kind of one of the core mechanics what makes it so great. So let's go through kind of the basics, how the game works, and then what we're going to compare it to with these other games that we want to recommend for you guys. So the, the main core elements of this game are that you're building a network. You're going to try to power as many cities as you can on this map, and the base game comes with U.S. map on one side and a Germany map on the other, but there are like 20 maps total you can buy for this game. So each turn, you're going to be able to buy power stations that will power a certain amount towards your city. This part of the game is done through bidding, so people will bid on what's available in the tableau of power stations but when you buy one a new one will come out and only certain number up that are out at any given time can actually be purchased if you take the action to purchase then the next one comes out and the way the deck is stacked the next one is almost always going to be better than the ones on the board so when to buy how much to spend that's a big part of the game the bidding is pretty streamlined because you're not going to go around and around and around it's one round of bidding and can only bid once on a power station once you've purchased one you're done for that turn the other interesting part of this game is the variable market for the resources so each of those power stations requires a different raw material so there's coal and oil and garbage and uranium there are some power stations that don't require um, any of that those are renewable resources that are wind farms or solar plants but those are a little less common in the deck but of the four major types of or raw materials you're going to use they're going to fill up the space at the bottom of the board and the cost of those materials will increase depending on how many are currently available. So the more people buy from that market, the more expensive it's going to be. 
And so at any given time, you're going to be spending more money on power stations. You're going to be spending more money on raw materials. Which power station you choose might depend on which raw materials are cheap right now. And the other players are obviously going to have a big impact on this as they go around. As you amass power stations and resources and start powering your cities, you'll build out from your network. And as you start interacting with other players, then the cost of powering a city increases. So everything ramps up over the course of the game and starts to cost much more money. But you also start gaining much more money based on the number of cities you're powering. So it's all very, the flow of it works really well. Everything kind of ramps up together. And that's where all that math comes in because you have to try to count out how much money you're going to need in the next turn versus how much you're going to be able to generate from the power stations you currently have versus what's probably going to come up in the deck and what the bids are going to do. I think that's all a lot of fun. At some people I know it's just a little too much math, but the way it all works out actually ends up being relatively accessible. So in terms of core mechanics then, the the game relies a lot on the, the network and route building. And we talked about this particular mechanic a lot when we talked about Ticket to Ride. So you can listen back to that episode if you want some games that are kind of like that in terms of that mechanic. And then there's the auction and bidding mechanic, which is a bit big part of the game in terms of which power stations you're going to buy. And then finally, the whole industrial manufacturing side of things. This is a very, the board looks industrial, the artwork's very industrial. The new deluxe edition's a little more cartoony, but the old school version is very like 1930s, 1940s industrial style promo art, uh, which I always found really cool looking. And I actually, like, I'm in marketing, but I work with manufacturing industrial companies. So games like this are always very interesting to me on that side of things. And then that variable market where things are constantly changing prices. That's, that's always a very unique element to a game. So the end of the game, the, the goal is to be able to power the most cities. There's no score per se. It's just whoever can power the most cities is going to win the game. And that's, that's what you're trying to ramp up to. So you're building an engine. You have to keep building that engine and ramping it up. Power grid. That's the game in a nutshell. Now let's talk about some games that are kind of like that in relation to the auction and bidding mechanic, as well as the theme of it, the industrial mechanical side of things. Chris, why don't you go first with the uh, auction and bidding games that you feel are a good next step for this one? So one of the most interesting things about Power Grid is that auction bidding mechanic. So the first game I want to talk about that has this type of mechanic is Cyclades. Now we just talked about Kemet, which is a very similar game to this. But Cyclades really does put the bidding mechanic up front. Now, in the game, you are bidding for the favors of the gods. And there's all these different gods to come out each round. Now, you can bid for Zeus or Ares or Poseidon. And sometimes the, the gods are mixed up. And based upon winning a certain bid, you'll be able to take a certain action. So bidding this game is really the game, just like how Power Grid is all about the auctions. So you make your big bid, and then you hope someone doesn't outbid you because you can't go back and bid again on that god. You got to go somewhere else. Now, if you happen to get outbid there, you can go back, but that's eh, pretty unlikely. So, so Clades, a game that has so much to do about the Warring Islands, and yet it all comes down to bidding. Now, the second game I want to talk about is Medici. Now, we talked about this recently with Dave and Chris, and it's really a outstanding game that is literally all about the bidding. Now, in this game, you are going to be bidding for these different resources that come into the game, and you're going to try to pile them up 
and hopefully you make the right bid because once again, you're only getting that one bid. And if you're looking for a game that's honestly all about the bidding and nothing other than the bidding, then this game is really for you. It's a fun, quick game. You're trying to go up your different markets as quickly as possible. You're trying to cash in as much as you can as far as points are concerned. So do you go up multiple sets? Do you go up multiple numbers? Is someone going to let you get this sort of cargo now or maybe get it later? It's a really tricky game. And it's so interesting how such a simple mechanic like bidding can actually be an intense game mechanic. So if you're looking for that alone, Medici is absolutely the game for you. Now, finally, if you're looking for a game that has bidding as one of the largest components in the game, but also has some beautiful chrome, has some wonderful gameplay, but might be a little difficult to find, you want to check out Days of Wonder Coliseum. Now, Coliseum has a little bit of a roll and move type of mechanic, but don't let that stop you. The real gameplay comes in when you're bidding for different players, attractions, scenery for your great show. So you have this long show card that you're trying to achieve as many of the different aspects for it as possible so that by the end of the game, you scored the largest show possible and scored the most points. But where this game really shines is when you have five players at the table and everyone's bidding over those certain combinations. And if you could only win that, that would be great. But if you don't, you'll have access to others. But man, you need that certain combination. Now, what's really fun and an interesting mechanic here is sometimes even if you don't need anything in particular, if you win one of these auctions and win certain of these pieces, then you can kind of swap back and forth and trade. So for Coliseum, the auction bidding mechanic plays out through the game just based upon what you're able to buy or win in this game because... Those tiles come into play in every show that you're going to do, unless they happen to be that one tile that gets knocked out. But you're getting multiple tiles, it plays quick, it plays fun, and it's really colorful and a beautiful game. If you can pick it up, Coliseum is a great bidding auction game for you. Anthony, what about you? What mechanics do you love about Power Grid? All right. So for me, I went with, uh, instead of just a straight mechanic, I went with the kind of part of the theme at least of the industry and manufacturing side of things and uh one of one of the games on here actually was one we are just talked about not too long ago that's spirium now spirium is obviously much older on the industry side it's you know 19th century not even real england but (laughs) hey uh... spirium's real (laughs) right i saw it once (laughs) what have been putting all my money into spirium futures right (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Chris, keep doing well, it. Well, that's what you keep telling me. Yeah, the the first bank of Spirium is a real thing. All right, good. I'm going to make out big. It's I have all a... the little green rocks I could ever want. Yeah, they just don't expect us to ship them to you. We have to hold on to them. Okay, sounds right. Yeah, just like gold. Um, so Spirium, is, it's a fantastic game. I talked about it just a few minutes ago. And it's it really captures that uh, that feeling of building up your industry and building up this engine that has to produce the Spirium that you need to produce victory points or more Spirium. <laughs> and uh, the workers are obviously the most important part of that, as they should be in any uh, you know, manufacturing and industry-type game. 
And actually, all three games I'm going to talk about here are worker placement games, and I know Power Grid is not at all, but when we're talking about industry and manufacturing, it makes sense that they're very worker placement-esque. That's kind of who's going to build it otherwise, right? Another game on that list, and this is another one we reviewed uh, about a year ago, actually, almost exactly, and that's Russian Railroads. So Russian Railroads, unlike a lot of other rail games in which you're laying down trains or sometimes building the tracks, but usually over a much grander scale. In Russian Railroads, you are literally building the railroads. You are putting down each component bit by bit and kind of building those up and then moving those up the tracks to score more points. And it all kind of steamrolls on top of each other, kind of as the advent of technology would, because you need foundation and you need to lay the rails and everything else and kind of build on that as you go up. It's a game that... I greatly enjoyed and just wish it had a little more randomness to it just to make it slightly more replayable because I know a lot of people who play it feel like it's a little bit solvy. Um, I don't think any of us have solved it, but I think it gets that feeling. But it's really fun and you really do feel like you're building something out in this game. It does capture that sense of kind of snowballing growth, um, like I mentioned with Power Grid, where from the first turn to the last turn, you're so far beyond where you started that it's hard to you know it's fun almost funny to look back and say oh i only had five money 45 minutes ago and now i have whatever 200 money so that's another great game in that sense the last one is the manhattan project so this is another worker placement game and it's one where you're building something almost in that power generation sense but you know before we used it for power back in the days when um, everybody was racing to build the bomb um, the atomic bomb that is so in this game, everybody's placing their workers out and they're building up a strategy as they try to build out their bomb and they're racing with other players. And there's a decent amount of interaction with other players, but you're not obviously going to nuke nuke each other or anything like that. You would be blocking people's building and stealing technologies or sabotage element to the game. And one of the more unique parts of it is that the worker placement aspect doesn't a lot of worker placement games, you'll put down all your workers, everybody's done, everybody passes, and then you pick them all up. In this game, there are no rounds. You are putting out workers and retrieving them as needed or you know when you have to. So at any given round, you might be picking up workers when somebody else is just putting them down. So it's a lot like Zulkin in that way, where the round, and that game has rounds because of the turn of the wheel, but when and how you place your workers is kind of independent of that. Uh, similar also to Euphoria that we talked about the other day where uh, you roll your dice and you place them as you need to, but everybody's kind of on a different different rhythm in that sense. So this game also kind of gives you that great feel of you're building something and you're racing other people to build it faster and to power it bigger than they can. And that's a lot like Power Grid in that sense because it's kind of that industrial feel of being in charge of this massive network that you have to get done, but at the same time beating out your rivals. So that theme, that whole idea of taking uh, something that you're building, something you're trying to put together, racing other people to get there first, kind of snowballing up all of your resources to the point where you can actually get those high-level actions or items or power stations in the case of Power Grid. That kind of theme is really fun for me, and there's a lot of great games out there that do it really well. And apparently, now that I'm looking at my list, they're all worker placement games. So no wonder I like it so much. So that's everything for our feature review, the fabulous Power Grid game by Freedom Freeze. So check that game out if you haven't played it yet. Yes, it seems a little old and outdated, but I'm telling you, you sit down and play this game and you're really going to enjoy it. And once you play this, 
check out the six different choices that we talked about on this week's episode. Yeah, and make sure to find me in about six months when my treasure chest comes in and I upgrade all my components. <laughs> and we'll make it seem a little less outdated. All right, so that's everything for this episode. Please keep in contact with us on Facebook, Twitter, BoardGamersAnonymous.com, our guild on Board Game Geek. Check out our Patreon account. We could really use your support. So until then, this is Chris. This is Anthony. And we'll save you an opportunity to buy outstanding Spirium Futures. Right, Anthony? All the Spirium Futures you want. Just write your check to Anthony. Send it to my address. I will hold it for you. As soon as it matures, I will send it to you in the mail. Yes, I can't wait till my Spirium Futures mature and I make all the monies. (laughs) They will be shipped to you as victory points. That's good, right? Yeah. Okay. Hope. Serious?